Hi everyone, this is Alex. I wanted to mention that the Cultured Meat Symposium is returning to downtown San Francisco for an in-person event. The event is taking place on October 22nd and 23rd, 2021. This year, industry leaders Sartorius and Merck KGAA Darmstadt, Germany will be returning as gold sponsors. Learn more and register at www.cms21.io. Thanks for joining us on the Cultured Meat and Future Food Show. We're excited to have Brian as the guest for today's episode. Brian Kateman is the lead producer of Meet Me Halfway, a documentary about finding common ground at the dinner table. He is the co-founder and president of the Reducitarian Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to reducing consumption of meat, eggs, and dairy to create a healthy, sustainable, and compassionate world. I've been following the Reducitarian Foundation for quite some time now, and the Reducitarian Summit, which is typically held on an annual basis, is really one of the great industry events to go to. There's one coming up in person in San Francisco this October, and the Meet Me Halfway documentary is now released. So we'll be putting details for both Meet Me Halfway and the Reducitarian Foundation in the show notes. I had a great conversation with Brian, so let's get right to it. Thanks for joining us on the Cultured Meat and Future Food Show. We are really excited to have Brian Kateman on today's episode. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. Brian, we've crossed paths and I've wanted to have you on the show for many different reasons for a very long time, but now seems like one of the best times to really air your episode. But before we get into exactly why, I want to really open it up to the audience and ask about your background. So give us a little bit about your background. I suppose a good place to start is that I grew up on Staten Island, New York, which if you're familiar with New York, you know it's not known to be a particularly progressive place in terms of New York City. Definitely did not grow up with access to a lot of swanky plant-based restaurants. I didn't know any vegans or vegetarians or anything like that. But one thing I did like about Staten Island was that there was a lot of nature a lot of natural parks and trails and green spaces. And as a young kid, I became the person who liked spending time in the environment. And then later in college, an environmentalist and would tell people on campus that they should recycle, they should compost, that they should walk instead of drive, and so on. At some point, a friend gave me a book about factory farming, specifically The Ethics of What We Eat by Peter Singer and Jim Mason. And that was the first time I connected our food choices with environmental issues, specifically food choices around factory farming and problems that it was causing. And so it wasn't long before I became vegetarian on my way to being vegan. And for the most part, that worked out. But then there were these couple of kind of weird social moments where I would find myself falling off the plant-based bandwagon, as they would say. So like at Thanksgiving, I popped a piece of turkey in my mouth to appease my father who wanted me to partake in the cultural festivities. I remember once at an IHOP at a pancake house, there was a friend of mine who left a piece of bacon on his plate. And as the waiter came to take the plate away, I popped the piece of bacon in my mouth. I just thought it was going to go to waste. Why waste it? Eventually, I started to get flack from people for not upholding that vegetarian label I'd given myself. And all of that led me down a path, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but I'll pause there. That's interesting you mentioned that because I've definitely experienced the same at Thanksgiving. And that is such a time where people do sometimes say, well, you have to have turkey or you have to have this or you have to have that. So the pressure is actually higher than other times. So that's definitely a very good example. And I think 
I've learned that sometimes you can't just ask somebody like straight up, are you vegan? Because <laughs> the word vegan just has so many different, it's kind of a loaded term, right? And so some people are vegan, but they eat honey. Some people are vegan, but if sometimes there's some cheese on the salad, they don't send it back in the restaurant. And so I've started asking people, are you plant-based? <laughs> so you started really thinking about the environment and, and the kinds of foods that you're eating. When did this kind of movement, reducitarian, come about? Well, it kind of happened shortly after embracing more plant-based eating, but not being perfect about it. I got to a point where I was just, screw it. I'm not calling myself a vegetarian anymore. I mean, this is ridiculous. I'm getting flack from omnivores for being hypocritical. I'm getting flack from vegans for not upholding that moral value. So I looked online and there were words like flexitarian and semi-vegetarian and mostly vegetarian. And those words did get my diet. But I started to think about the larger problem, which was that there were people like my parents or like the average American who were eating well over 200 pounds of meat a year. There was not a chance in heck that they were going to go vegan or vegetarian, let alone be flexitarian. And so we needed to create a word and a movement and identity of individuals who were cutting back on the amount of animal products that they were consuming without worrying about it being all or nothing, without worrying about even approaching something like a flexitarian. And the premise was that if more people did that, that would be considerably more impactful than the couple of percentages of people who are vegan or vegetarian. And so a colleague who was going through a, a similar revelation named Tyler and I came up with this concept for reducitarian in 2014 and really hit the ground running ever since. Now, when I think of reducitarian, I do think of like the non-dietary aspects as well, such as environment and things like that. Am I right to think that reducitarianism is not just about food, but maybe also reducing, for example, single-use plastics and, and things like that? I think it's very reasonable that you would have that intuition, but it doesn't describe what we're getting at. So for us, we are taking the root of tarian, right? Like vegetarian, pescatarian. And we're putting the word reduce in front of it to imply that people should specifically cut back on the amount of meat, eggs, and dairy that they consume. Some people have taken that concept and applied it to plastic use and other forms of sort of minimalism and cutting back on consumption broadly. But we are definitely all in on ending factory farming. We're all in on reducing consumption of animal products specifically. But it's totally fine when people draw inspiration from a, from a baseline idea and apply it in other productive ways in their life, of course. Okay, I see. And that actually explains why there are so many tasty things to eat at the Reducitarian Summits. <laughs> I want to bring back something that I alluded to earlier, and that's the documentary. And so tell us about the documentary and actually why it was important to release a documentary. The documentary, Meet Me Halfway, which recently came out, was definitely uh, a labor of love, and it's something that I'm very proud of. A lot of people report that they make changes in their life broadly, but also in the context of food from documentaries. It's often one of the number one reasons people list how they come to learn about a subject. And many of us know of documentaries in this space, Cowspiracy, What the Health, there are many others. And those documentaries are very important, game changers, and they've you know, created a lot of meaningful impact. I have felt, though, historically, that there has not been a documentary out there, really, that doesn't have a, either an explicit or implicit go vegan message. 
And also that is a bit more nuanced in exploring some of the just more honest, complicated topics involved in ending factory farming and and the available options that are out there. And so it was really important to me that we try to be that documentary. And hopefully we were successful in that. The documentary took about five years to create, sort of started loosely in 2015. And we wrapped up filming and editing in 2020 or so. So I couldn't be more excited about it. And I'm happy to talk about the film in detail. But that's that was the, the genesis for it. There are a lot of documentaries that are really trying to get people to eat a certain way instead of showing the different options. And actually, sometimes I get very frustrated when I watch some of these documentaries because the examples that they're using are just a little bit out of whack. And I don't remember exactly which documentary it was, but somebody was literally like frying up some cigarettes in a frying pan with oil, (laughs) like trying to give the example that, you know, meat is carcinogens and that kind of thing. To me, I just didn't connect with an example like that. And it would be scenes like that and some of these other documentaries that would just frustrate me quite a bit. But with Meet Me Halfway, I think like not only did your examples and interviews really hit home, but I think it was also really refreshing to see that there's a lot of different options available. There's a lot of different ways to approach things. With that being said, I want to say something before I forget it, and that's that the animations were very beautiful. And I think that was one thing that kind of stuck with me. And that was like a a very nice way to to describe things. But I want to really ask you about the different areas that you did cover. For example, going to a farm where they were practicing different types of land management and also what they would consider to be humane slaughter. And so can you tell us a little bit more about that interview at that farm? Let me first say that the film is essentially divided into two parts. The first part is why is it so difficult to get people to eat less meat? And the transition question to the scene that you're asking about is if people are not going to stop eating meat, and they're not, not anytime soon, that's an obvious answer, right? Given that people will continue to eat meat, at least in the short term, what options are out there that we can provide people? And one of those obvious options is meat that doesn't come from a factory farm. This is kind of loosely referred to as better meat. Sometimes it's called high welfare meat, certified meat, meat that comes from regenerative farms. Essentially, as you said, land management practices that, you know, supposedly, or to, to, to the extent that we know or not, is up for debate, benefit the earth and soil and so on. And so, yeah, I visit a gentleman named Will Harris at his farm, White Oak Pastures. And he, in my opinion, is an incredible person who let go of his sort of historically based factory farming practices with his family and has just created what feels to me like the Disney world of animal husbandry. These animals are happy. They have a ton of space. It's just nothing like a factory farm. And to say it is, it's just anti-science. You can watch the film and you can see me interact with these animals. Obviously, the sticking point, though, is slaughter. And so that's a major downside of raising animals for food, whether it's in a factory farming system or in a system like Will's, but they're not the same. They're not. If you were to elect to be, whether you're in a factory farm or in a farm that's not a factory farm, obviously you would choose the latter. And I think that's important. 
Downsides, yeah, it's really expensive to buy meat that doesn't come from a factory farm. It requires a ton of land in order to, you're going to produce significantly fewer animal products as a result. There's questions around regenerative agriculture, to what extent it benefits the earth. Will Harris has done, I believe, independent research to suggest that at his farm, they are having success, you know, but every farm is going to be different. And so for me, I just want the world to be better to start, right? Anything that's not factory farming is pretty much my baseline. I try not to get caught up in philosophical discussions that get beyond that. And I will for fun in terms of a discussion like this or in a philosophy classroom or so on. But I, I really do take a hard-lined, pragmatic view that anything that's not factory farming is better. 99% of meat in the United States is factory farmed. I think it's 97% of meat in the world is factory farmed. So once we're done with that, then I'm really excited to have interesting debates about whether slaughter of animals should be permissible in any fashion and so on. But for me, that's really the heart of the film is just taking that hardline stance that we're not, we're just not going to embrace factory farming because it's one of the worst systems, cruel systems ever created. And anything that's not that is something that should at least be on the table for discussion and, and perhaps literally for folks to, to consume. I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's very reasonable to put that on the table for discussion. But in the reducitarian movement and the plant-based movement, there's a lot of folks that are from animal rights and animal welfare. What did they think about that segment in the film? I think if you take the stance that animals, you know, morally can never be slaughtered, which quite frankly is a position that I think that I embrace and accept, I can think it's reasonable that a person would, would not be excited about any kind of farming practice that involves the, the killing of an animal. But I do think there's a difference between holding a moral philosophical view and trying to move in the direction of a more compassionate world. With that said, I'll be even more charitable and say there are other good reasons to be concerned about meat that comes from a high welfare regenerative farm. For one, it's confusing. Consumers can barely tell based on these certifications and labels what is a significant improvement over welfare standards and what is just a false advertisement to try to get consumers to essentially buy factory farm meat. So there are lots of legitimate criticisms, but I think what maybe this is leading up to a larger point is there are also legitimate criticisms around plant-based meat and cell-cultured meat as it relates to this larger idea of, of trying to get away from factory farms. So I think there will be a percentage of animal rights activists, even vegans, who will not meet me halfway because it does take a more, I call it pragmatic, but someone might call it compromising position. And this film, while I want vegans and vegetarians to enjoy it, and animal rights activists to enjoy it, and I hope they will. And I think there are other scenes that they will be excited about, particularly there's a, a pig vigil scene in which I visit, uh, you know, pigs being trucked on their way to slaughter, and it's quite emotional. This film is for everyday people who are probably not going to go vegan or vegetarian, but could be moved to cut back on animal products and could be moved to consider the interests of animals in ways that they have not, even if they may not consider them to the degree that you or I do in terms of animal rights. I definitely had to pause during that pig scene and, and really just take a deep breath to think about what is actually happening. And emotional is definitely the right word for it. There was also one interview where somebody's really advocating for a plant-based diet. And then later you see that she actually is not 
vegan or plant-based. And I thought that was very interesting as, as well. So the, the perspectives that you did cover, I think, were very unique. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's really what we were trying to get at. You know, there is that core message of we don't like factory farming and we want people to reduce the amounts of animal products that they consume. And I think we were fairly consistent in, in that perspective. But otherwise, we really did try to show a, a very broad array of perspectives on the topic. We've already talked about the perspective of an animal advocate. We talked about people who think that you know, the ideal diet is vegan, others who think the ideal diet is is simply cutting back on animal products. There are folks who think that plant-based meat is not ideal because it's not healthy as a whole avocado, for example. There are folks who don't like cell-cultured meat because it's involved in the capitalist system and it's part of Silicon Valley and biotech and there are all sorts of problems that come with that. And I think that was, we wanted to be honest to show the different perspectives that people have. But we do take the conclusion that, yeah, they all have downsides. No solution is perfect. There are no silver bullets. But to compare any of those to factory farming, maybe I'm coming off stronger than I did in the film, but it just almost seems anti-reality to me. Factory farming is just that bad. The baseline is so, it's so much easier to be better because factory farming is so bad. And so we want to show all the different perspectives. Then we want to come back around <laughs> and say that all these ways forward have one thing in common, or really two, I suppose. We have to end factory farming, and in order to do that, we have to significantly reduce the amount of animal products that we consume. There's really no other way. I'm also glad you showcased uh, cell-cultured meat in the documentary. And maybe one of, one of my favorite lines was from Nicholas from New Age Meats, who is saying that some people don't like chemicals, but everything is <laughs> right a chemical or water is a chemical. Whereas I think you ask, why don't people, aren't they kind of put off by eating cells or something like that? So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Nicholas says we're all made of cells. Apples have cells in them. Yeah, that was a good response, I thought. And you tried different cell-cultured meat products, such as the Just Chicken Nuggets. So how was that? It's so funny because as you can imagine, right, there's a kind of feeling of pressure that I felt at the time. We only get one shot at, at this moment with this very expensive chicken nugget and there's a camera on me. And something I hope that comes across throughout the entire film is that I really am trying to just be me and be authentic. And what was funny, I felt, about that moment was... You want it to feel revolutionary because intellectually we know that it is. It's an incredible thing to be able to create meat with the use of cells rather than animals. But when it just tastes <laughs> almost identical to meat, I found myself just saying that. And I think maybe it didn't come off as revolutionary as it, it really is, but it just genuinely tasted like meat, almost identical to meat. If it were served to me at any restaurant, I wouldn't, it wouldn't bat an eye. And I don't feel that way about plant-based meat, right? Plant-based meat is delicious and it's a great facsimile for animal-based meat and it tastes good and it can have a good texture and so on, but it's, it's nothing, it's not comparable to cell-cultured meat in the sense that cell-cultured meat is essentially animal-based meat without the use of the animal. So you know, that's one of the moments I felt most hopeful. There, there's another moment later in the film where I feel very hopeful involving my father. But if anything I've learned throughout this journey is that telling people to do anything, not just go vegan, but to, even telling people to eat less meat is not sufficient for changing the world. It has to be easier. It has to be less expensive. It has to be just as delicious, really minimal sacrifice. That's the only way that we're going to be able to, to move forward. So I very much hope cell culture meat 
proves to be a success. I worry about getting the price down. Like any solution, I think there are concerns, but I would be willing to bet. I think we should put as, as much resources as, as humanly possible and just in seeing it through. And as a reducetarian, are you still on the occasion having a little bit of meat here and there? Yeah, you know, so what I say is I try to be as vegan as possible. I do occasionally include animal products in my diet. I never worry about being perfect. Or I shouldn't say I'm still human, so I worry about being perfect. <laughs> I try not to worry about being perfect. I try to let go of, of that feeling. If you, if I came over to your, your house, Alex, and you offered me a cookie, I probably would not ask you if it had egg or dairy in it. I would just enjoy your company and make it happen. So yeah, it's this strange thing. We want people to reduce as much as possible, but I don't think that we should encourage people to feel like they're part of a cult or to worry about being pure. We should focus on our diets to the best of our possibilities. And then if we really want to go make change, we should encourage other people to cut back on animal products. We even want to do more than that. We should become activists in the movement and deploy all the strategies at our disposal. But yeah, at this point in my life, I try to eat as plant-based as I feel comfortable doing. You mentioned your dad. Your dad is looking great. So in the beginning of the documentary, you had this scene where you're, where you're talking to your parents and your dad kind of went through a, an amazing transformation. You definitely have to watch the documentary to see exactly what I'm talking about. It would be too hard to describe, but is he still on track and still eating mostly plant-based and is he still a reducitarian? Yeah, it's a really good question. I don't want to say we oversold it in the film. But I hope what we did show is that, you know, an everyday person like my father, and you'll know what I mean when you watch the film, when I say my dad, can have an attitude shift, can make some changes in, in their life. And in this case, what that means for my father is adding more plant-based foods to his diet, which has the effect of cutting back on animal products. My dad still eats way too many animal products, right? He's not a flexitarian. He's not eating a predominantly plant-based diet. But that was really never my goal. The goal was to get him to have a vegetable from time to time. The other day he called me, there's this place on Staten Island called Tropical Smoothie. And he's like, I got this kale smoothie. It's actually really good. He likes to work out. So he's been having, after his workout, these vegan, whole food, vegetable-based smoothies in the morning, which to me is an incredible evolution. And you'll, it, you know, it is. It's unbelievable the transformation that he's made. And and he's kept that up, and that's why he was able to enact his personal goal, which is to improve his health, specifically to lose weight. And so I couldn't be more proud of him and, and happy. I hope that it continues. I hope it adds years to his life. I hope it continues to enjoy plant-based foods. But really, the again, you know, the victory here, when I think of society at large, it's taking someone like my dad, who eats meat every single meal, never has a fruit or vegetable, and just 10%, 20% of their diet now has moved in that direction. And that's a beautiful thing, not just for someone like my dad, for his health, but also for the environment, and also in terms of reducing the number of animals in our system. So yeah, that's kind of my feelings on my dad and the progress that he's made. So please tell us where we will be able to watch, download, or stream the documentary, and what's next? Yeah, well, the film is available on Apple TV, on iTunes, on Amazon, on Google Play. Internationally, it's on Vimeo On Demand, and folks can rent or, or buy the film and see it that way. And you can go to meetmehalfway.org if you'd like to see more places where the film is available to watch. In terms of what's next, 
I don't actually know if I've shared this before, so you might be the, the first to hear this. Meet Me Halfway, the book has been, I, I wrote the book version of the film, which kind of goes into a lot more detail and will be out in the spring of 2022. So I'm really excited about that because if you watch the credits, you'll realize that there's 30 interviews that didn't make the final cut. We filmed hundreds of hours. So we poured some of that content into the book. We have our annual Reducitarian Summit, which I'm very excited about. I'm thrilled that we'll be finally back together later this year, October 1st to the 3rd, and it's going to be in San Francisco this year. And we have a couple other programs that are in the works that'll be moved into implementation phase next year. Meat consumption is going up around the world. One of the final statistics in the film is that in the United States in 2020, the average American ate 225 pounds of meat each year, which is the the most in recorded history. So I only say this, Alex, to emphasize that we have a lot of work to do. It's the success is not guaranteed. I want to put out that realism, but we also have to be hopeful. We have to do everything we possibly can to make the change. And whether that's folks pursuing vegan advocacy, cell cultured advocacy, plant-based meat advocacy, whatever someone is called to do, that's something that's really beautiful and should be celebrated. And I'm crossing my fingers for a more sustainable, compassionate, and healthy world. And for the listeners, we will put the meetmehalfway.org website address along with some of the different links into the show notes, uh, as well as the Reducitarian Summit as well. Brian, thank you so much for being on the show. Time flies when you're having fun. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate it. This is your host, Alex, and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. This program was produced by H Media. We'll see you soon.